right, there it is. Happy Mother's Day. Can we give it up for all the moms with us in the room? Moms, this is a day that we set aside just to say thank you and that we love you and thank you for all the things that often go unnoticed that you don't ever feel appreciation for, but yet you do it nonetheless. Thank you so much for all that you do. Hey, I got a couple quick announcements and then we are gonna jump into my sermon for today. I wanna let you know that next week we're gonna be offering what we call a Becoming a Trace luncheon. If you're new to Trace, this is your next best step. It's a class that I personally teach. It's after our 11 o'clock service. And we usually do these every other month, but we take a break over the summer. So I don't think we're offering another Becoming a Trace luncheon until September. And so if you're new and you're like, hey, I wanna like, what does it look like to get more involved here? What does it look like to make this my church home? Uh, I strongly encourage you to sign up and be available for that. We do need you to register so that we can have enough food for you. Also wanna let you know that camps are coming up. We have camps for every age here at Trace and we've got Several that are gonna be taking off in June and a statement that we make a lot around here is that camps cultivate life change in Christ. I know that was, that was true for me growing up and how much life change and even pivotal moments I experienced going to camp. And so we'd strongly encourage you to get on our app, check out what camps are available for your kids and get them signed up. Also, one last thing, next week we're offering what we call a core four class for all of you parents in the room. Uh, we know that parenting can be very difficult. I'm a parent of four kids and we know that you can't do everything, but what what we've determined is that if you do these four things, then you will be a, an, an intentional parent. And so if you want to take us up on that again on our app, check that out. It's during our 930 service next week. Well, can we do, can we do this? Can we just say collectively a prayer over the moms in the room? And before we pray, um, if your mom is anything like my wife, who's a mom of four kids. I know one of the things that she really wants today is to not feel responsible for anything. And so since most of us are like the rest of us, can, can any of you, or I should say, can all of you that have the availability and the opportunity just to kind of ease the burden on any mom in the room today or any mom that you're involved with or have, you know, just do life with. Uh, just take off all the responsibilities today, like remove anything and everything that she feels like that she would need to do because I think one of the best ways to honor and celebrate all the moms in the room is just give them a day where they can relax, amen? And so let me pray. Yeah, there's a mom in there. She's ready to experience that. So make sure you, whoever's around her, uh, make that happen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. And God, um, sometimes we need a little help. And I know this is kind of an overgeneralization, but especially us guys, sometimes we need a little help being reminded of how to honor the moms in our life. And so God, would you maybe bring that to our attention today? Help us to see how we can do something very intentional that just kind of takes the burden, takes some responsibility off of the moms in our life. And uh, God, just thank you for how these moms have blessed us. I'm so personally thankful for Brenda Pennington, uh, who has done so much and set aside so many of her own ambitions in life so that she could make our life better. And so thank you for my mom. And God, uh, we love you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Well, every year on this day, um, I've made it a point to make mention that Mother's Day is not necessarily a celebratory day for everyone. And I usually give a list of people that can identify with that sentiment, people that maybe lost their mom here recently. This day looks a little different for them. Maybe a mom that's lost a child here recently. Maybe it's those of you in this room that struggled with your relationship with your mom growing up. And maybe that relationship is still fragile or even fractured to this day. 
And so I've made it a point to make mention that yes, this day doesn't look the same for everyone. And then I also acknowledge a group of people in this room, a group of people that maybe will watch this online, that you struggle to become a mom. Whether it's through infertility or whether it's through a miscarriage or multiple miscarriages, everything in you wants to be a mom, but it just hasn't happened for you. And I think it's important that you know this if you don't already, 15% of all couples actually struggle with infertility. And put on top of that, that 15% of all pregnancies actually end in a miscarriage. We now have 30 out of 100 people, right? And there's probably 250 people in this room. 30 out of 100 people are directly impacted by either infertility or a miscarriage. So if it's not you, just look down the row, it's probably somebody sitting with you, which is why. For a while now, I have felt convicted to speak on these subjects. Now, I want to be clear. This has not been my nor Emily's experience, but I have sat across the table of many families and specifically consoled many women where this has been their reality. And based on the conversations that I've had and the things that I've heard, I feel it would be a huge disservice to be quiet on this subject any longer. And so what I'd like to do today is specifically speak into the subjects of infertility and miscarriages, but from the perspective of our spiritual lives and giving us a biblical framework in general of just how pain and suffering looks in our life and making sure that we're accurately defining and understanding how God's involvement, like where God's involvement is in this and isn't in this. But I also want to speak into this from a relational perspective. Now, I need to let you know that primarily... I feel that the best thing that I can give us today is a strong biblical understanding when it comes to this particular kind of pain in our life. And the reason I say that is because on several occasions, I've needed to correct people's perspective and theology on God's role in infertility or a miscarriage. Whether it was something that they were taught along the way, whether it was something that they kind of concocted themselves, or it could have been the enemy using their vulnerability during that time to twist and to skew God's involvement in whether in either their miscarriage or infertility. And so I really do believe the best thing that I can probably give us all today is a strong biblical framework when it comes to pain and suffering in general. But I also wanna speak to us from a relational perspective, specifically how all of us need to stretch our empathy for those that have endured this specific kind of pain, and to be clear, this is a specific kind of pain. And speaking of empathy, for all of you that have experienced this, ladies and gentlemen, for all of you that have experienced this, if the church's lack of speaking up on this has communicated a lack of empathy, I wanna let you know that I'm deeply sorry. One of the reasons why I'm having this conversation with you today is because about nine months ago, there was a woman sitting in my office and through tears and devastated because of a late-term miscarriage, she pleaded with me to speak up on this subject more because of how many people it's affecting and how many people are living in a perpetual state of confusion. And so I'm having this conversation with you today because of that conversation. To be clear, if you're ever in my office and you tell me to preach on something, I probably won't do it. But, and so here's what I wanna do. 
I wanna, I wanna begin by giving us a biblical framework and I'm gonna kinda do this in reverse. And I say that because I wanna look to the book of Revelation and if you're new to the church, if you're new to Christianity, in the book of Revelation, the apostle John is forecasting what the end of life is going to look like. The end of life in general and for this earth, when Jesus comes back, and we believe the Bible teaches clearly that Jesus is coming back, there will be a second coming, and when he comes back the second time, earth as we know it will come to an end and God will make everything new. But there's something that he says specifically in Revelation chapter 21 that will help us to develop a strong biblical framework when it comes to the pain and suffering in general in our life. And so let me read it to you. John says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying and no more pain. Thank you, Jesus. For the old order of things has passed away and he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, once again, if you look closely, specifically into verse four, you're going to see God help us develop a picture, a clearer framework when it comes to the pain and suffering in our life. Because pay attention, he said, he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then God comes to bring and make everything new. And so if the old order of things will pass away when that happens, that means right now we are living in the old order of things, which means we should expect death and mourning and crying and pain and infertility and miscarriages. But let me be clear, this is not what God wanted This is not what God wants, which is why he's going to make everything new. God didn't introduce these things to the world. We did by disobeying God, by bringing sin into the world. And on the heels of sin was pain and suffering. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve when they introduced this world to sin. And the fact that God is going to make everything new should help all of us to get a clearer picture of the heart of our heavenly father because if he wants to make everything new and he's gonna get rid of the old order of things and the old order of things is death and mourning and crying and pain and infertility and miscarriages, that means the heart of our heavenly father is that this is not what he wants. He doesn't want it for you and he doesn't want it for me. And listen to me, the reason I wanted to start here, even though I know that might not be that comforting, is because the first thing that you need to know, and specifically, ladies, I wanna speak to you if this has ever been your reality. I wanted to start here because you need to understand that God is not cursing you from having children. He doesn't operate that way. Or that he specifically targeted you because you aren't good enough or you wouldn't be a good enough mom or maybe you haven't done enough for him or maybe it's because the things that you've done in your past and now God is punishing you by not allowing you to conceive. Listen to me, that's all a lie from the pit of hell. God does not punish, and write this down. I'm getting ready to define something very clear for you that I promise has caused so much confusion in the Christian life. God does not punish two people for the same crime, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, he took your punishment to the cross with him, which means he will never specifically punish you for something that has already been paid for through the blood of Jesus. Ladies, listen to me. The enemy wants to convince you 
that there must be something wrong with you as a person, as a woman. And that's why God won't bless you with a child. Or maybe the enemy is saying, hey, this is why you keep having miscarriages. Because of the things you've done in your past, God doesn't see you as worthy of having a child of your own. He wants to convince you that because you made that mistake a few years back, because you sinned in that particular way, because you didn't save yourself for marriage, now you're getting what you deserve. Nothing could be further from the truth. Is anyone else thankful that we worship a God that doesn't give us what we deserve? Yeah, clap. Go. <laughs> clap on command. <laughs> you started it, I just wanted to finish it. Jesus got what we deserved. Can I say it again? Jesus got what we deserved. And therefore, God won't punish you for something that Jesus already paid for. Now, I want to be clear. This is not about the consequences of our sin. Because there are consequences to all of our sin. And some of those consequences are hard. Some of those consequences suck. And that's a sermon for another day. But I want to let you know that the consequences of your sin is not God punishing you for something that Jesus already paid for. I cannot say that enough. And so, ladies, if you've ever wondered... If God is punishing you in this particular area because of something that you once did or something that you even once said, he's not, he's not. We are simply living in the old order of things where things like rape and abuse and divorce and infidelity and infertility and death and the list goes on are unfortunately a part of the human experience. And listen to me, it breaks God's heart. Now, I know that along the way that for some of you, this has gotten really confusing because of some well-meaning Christian in your life that said that you can be healed of your infertility. Maybe someone prophesied over you that God was going to save the baby, even though the doctor said that there was little to no chance. And then after some time transpired, you finally concluded that those Christians were actually wrong. Now, do I believe that God still works miraculously in this way, 100%. And I pray for that all of the time. But I also believe that God never promised that he would heal everyone or answer every one of our prayers the way that we asked him to answer them. I have counseled so many people, listen to me, I have counseled so many people who oftentimes have come out of a hyper-charismatic environment, who were told that God would heal them if they just had enough faith, God would save their baby, or God told them to tell you that the infertility was going to be cured in 12 months' time, only to learn that none of that came true. And I watch people walk away, either feeling like something is either wrong with them, or something must be wrong with God. I think all of us truly would be blown away how many people have turned their back on God and his church because of some kind of unfulfilled promise or prophetic word. God told me to tell you that you're gonna get pregnant. God told me to tell you that the infertility is no more. God told me to tell you the baby's gonna survive this time. Would you please stop saying God told me to tell you? You are not a prophet. 
You are not a spokesperson from God. And I have watched this one statement cause an immense amount of devastation, oftentimes in the subjects of infertility and pregnancy. Listen, I consider myself to be a pretty obedient follower of Jesus. I can tell you right now, there's no secrets behind the scenes in my life. Throw the curtains open. And so I fully believe that I'm living in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and God, but I would never use these words. I believe this can be a very arrogant approach to actually saying that God told you exactly what you are supposed to tell someone else. And I watch so many people get devastated on the other side of these kind of promises. Now, let me be clear. I would tell you even personally that I feel like God has given me a gift of discernment. I feel, I feel like I have a deep Holy Spirit sense of intuition and the people around me would tell you that that's the case. I feel like that the people around me actually had to affirm that in me before I ever realized it for myself. And so yes, God will impress things upon me. God will make me feel things from time to time. And it's not uncommon for me even to say, hey, I feel like God's leading me to have a conversation with you. That's different. But I don't wanna act like that I'm hearing word for word exactly from God what I'm supposed to tell someone else, especially when it's feel, feel, there's some Kentucky in me, filled, (laughs) filled, (laughs) filled with so many things that can be emotionally charged and expectations get high and people start to think, well, if God didn't answer that prayer and that person promised me that he would, maybe there's something wrong with me. I wanna get off on a detour here for a second because I want to more thoroughly establish how God does and doesn't work when it comes to to healing and to answering our prayers. Because if we're not careful, I believe not only will we come to the wrong conclusion, but we'll teach the wrong conclusion to others. And I I wanna let you know that there are some camps in Christianity that teach that God wants to heal everyone. I personally think this is dangerous. And I can biblically quickly show you that God doesn't do this. The first person I would point to is the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that Paul pleaded with God three times. God, would you take this from me? He referenced it as a thorn in his side, which was just a metaphor. A lot of scholars believe that it could have been blindness because we know that later the Apostle Paul had people write his letters for him because his eyesight was failing. And so maybe it was blindness, maybe it was something else, but he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But then God said to Paul, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly for my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content. I wanna let you know that what Paul says here is not easy, but it's true. I'm content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What about Timothy? When Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter five, Paul says, Timothy, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So obviously Timothy had been suffering with stomach illnesses for a long time. And Paul doesn't say, hey, we're gonna throw hands on you and you're gonna get healed of this because God wants all of us to be healed. No, he actually recommends a good Merlot instead. You see, even the early apostles did not believe that God wanted everyone to be healed. And then what about Jesus in John chapter five? 
there was a specific place and region called the Pool of Bethesda, and a lot of paralytics would have gone there, and they went there to get healed. There would have been hundreds. It says there was a multitude of people that were crippled that were around this pool of water because they thought it was healing in nature, and so they went there, and Jesus gets on site, and he sees one man that he walks up to, and he heals one out of hundreds, and we have to understand that when Jesus heals this one man and all the other people that are crippled that are there, and they witness this and they see what Jesus has just done, you better believe they would have been like, Jesus, me next, me next, me next. But he doesn't. He healed one. I don't know why he healed that one, but he healed one. And I know this can get confusing. Believe me, I'm not going to act like I've got it all figured out, but I've definitely studied God's word thoroughly, specifically on this subject, because I want to have a clear understanding of my Heavenly Father, but it can get confusing because it's like, well, then should we pray? Does that lead us to doubt our prayer life because we're not sure exactly what God is going to do? I would say, no, we pray for what we know God can do. I would encourage you to write down this next statement. We pray with full confidence, full confidence of what we know God can do because he does heal and he does answer prayer. He just doesn't heal everyone and he doesn't answer every prayer the way that we would hope that he would. And so we pray with confidence for what we know God can do, but we must learn to be content with what God decides to do. And I know that is so much easier for me to say than it is to live out. But listen to me, and I'm learning this currently. If you learn to be fully confident and stand in that confidence, if you learn to be fully confident, but also fully content, you will find one of the healthiest versions of faith that I believe can be available to you. Can I say it again? If you will learn to be fully confident and live in that confidence of what you know God can do, and you pray with that confidence, but also learn to be content, fully content. It's one of the healthiest versions of a walk with Jesus that I think someone could ever obtain. A few months ago, I was getting up one Saturday morning, and I noticed that I was having some stomach problems, and kind of went through my day, and the pain was getting a little bit worse and worse, and by evening time, I was in excruciating pain, and I told my wife, Emily, hey, I'm just going to sleep on the couch. Uh, and I just, I was moving around. It was just so uncomfortable, and I was in excruciating pain, and it kept getting worse. And I started praying. Listen to me. I started praying with more passion than I can ever remember praying recently. And I know what God's capable of, and so I was praying. And I'll just give you a little idea of kind of how it sounded. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I know that you have the full authority and power to remove this pain from me. So God, I'm asking that you would remove it from me. God, you tell us that your name is Jehovah Rapha in the Old Covenant, which means you are a healing God. So God, I'm just asking that you would give me some of that healing power right now. Would you remove this from my stomach? And I pray with passion and power and authority because I know what God's capable of. And I bet I prayed for 30 minutes to an hour over and over and over just saying that exact same thing and guess what God didn't take any of it away and guess what else it didn't challenge my faith at all and so I went to the doctor and they gave me a scan ultimately found out I had diverticulitis And I want to let you know that if I experienced something like that again, I would pray with the same power, I would pray with the same passion, and I would pray with the same authority because I know what God can do. And maybe, 
Maybe he had a specific reason why he didn't answer my prayer. Maybe he wanted me to go to the doctor's office and get these scans so I would talk to people about Jesus. I love talking to people about Jesus. There are nurses and doctors that actually come here now because I had a, an audience that couldn't leave. And so I just gave them a little Jesus. Maybe that was why. Or maybe it's because we just live in the old order of things. And unfortunately, this is a part of the human experience. I want to be clear because some people in my position sometimes stand up and on platforms like this and they, if you ask me, speak with more confidence than they should about what God will do. Now, sometimes we are clear on certain things, salvation and the way to the Father, and, but oftentimes we're not so clear. I don't always know what God will do, but I do believe we should always pray for what we know God can do. And I know to a great extent, to a great extent, that isn't enough for some of you. (laughs) Because some of you are thinking to yourself, if we know God can do it, then why didn't he do it for me? Why didn't he save my baby? Why didn't he allow me to get pregnant? All these other girls run around that don't even want to get pregnant. God, I want to get pregnant. I could be a great mom. I'd raise them up and teach them about Jesus. Why not me? I've been on the other end of those kind of emotionally charged questions enough to know that the best way for me to give them Jesus in that moment is not to quote a Bible verse, not to give them a theological answer, even though I could. The best way that I can give people Jesus in that moment, and if you ask me, the best way that you can give people Jesus in that moment is empathy. The best way that you can give them Jesus in that moment is a sincere question, how can I help? The best way to give them Jesus in that moment is to set aside your ambitions at that moment, clear the calendar, whatever you gotta do, and let them know that you're willing to be interrupted for them. That's the best way to give them Jesus. I once once preached a sermon called The Wonderfully Disruptive Pace of Jesus. Listen to me. If our God in the flesh, Jesus incarnate, can live a life that was wonderfully disruptive, he lived an interruptible life that when people needed him the most, he was the most available. If he can do it, listen to me, we shouldn't have any excuses. So how can you give somebody Jesus right now? that you know that may be specifically struggling through this kind of pain, infertility, miscarriage, or maybe it's something entirely different. I wanna encourage all of us to exercise more empathy, specifically in this area. You see, when it comes to infertility and miscarriages, I've found that most women, listen to me, most women don't let people know how much pain they're actually in. So will you let them know that you're thinking of them? Will you let them know that you're willing to pray for them? Will you let them know that you're willing to set aside your own ambitions, even for a moment so that you can just be there with them? Maybe it's been a month since you know someone that has had a miscarriage. Actually, here's what I would recommend. Anytime that you find out that somebody has had a miscarriage, in that moment, the first thing that I want you to do is to put it on your calendar four weeks from that date, four weeks to reach back out to them. Because in about four weeks, all the people around their life are gonna move on and likely even forget that they could still be suffering 
through that situation. Maybe you have friends who've struggled with infertility for years and you assume that they've just accepted it. Listen to me, probably not. They just don't wanna be a burden. And they feel like if they, if they keep speaking up, they're just a burden to those around them so they don't bring it up. Would you let them know that they're not a burden? Would you let them know that if they ever feel like they need to talk about it, even if they've been struggling with infertility for a decade, that you're willing to listen, that, that you don't ever want them to feel like that they can't speak up about one of the greatest sources of pain in their life? Let me remind you of something the Apostle Paul once said when he wrote to the church in Philippi. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Set aside your own personal ambitions for a bit. Not looking to, the interest, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You have the ability to be a bigger blessing than you think but it does require for you to be available. It does require for you to be interruptible. And one of the travesties, if you ask me, of an overcommitted life is a numbness to the pain around us. And it's also not the way of a Christ follower. And when we become desensitized to the pain of others, it becomes impossible to live this out and if you've never taken the time to allow Paul's words here to sink into your soul, let them do that right now. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the, the law of Christ. So let's reverse engineer that. If our hope is to fulfill the law of Christ as we follow Jesus, and we're not willing to be interruptible, if we're not willing to set aside our own ambitions for a moment, and help carry somebody's burden, we will never fulfill the law of Christ. One of the things that I've hoped and prayed for in this particular church since we opened about five and a half years ago is that we would be, be a church that lived this out consistently. That we would be a church that lived a wonderfully disruptive pace of life. One of our mantras here is that we extend hope when life hurts. I don't want that just to be true of our staff. I don't want that just to be true of our leaders here, I want that to be true of our church and you are Trace Church. And so how can you be more wonderfully disruptive? How can you be more available specifically maybe in this area when you know people are struggling with infertility or miscarriages? So let me do this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and then what we've decided to do today is give you a little bit extra time in our response time, something we do every week here at Trace. And I've asked, we have asked some people over the last couple of weeks that have experienced infertility and or a miscarriage, if they would be willing to pray with some of you that maybe are in this right now, maybe you've been there before, maybe you know somebody, somebody that is and you would like to pray for them, like you'd like to pray on their behalf. We're gonna have some people in the back of the room again that have experienced this, that are ready to pray with you today. And so, I wanna encourage you to take us up on that. You know, oftentimes when we do a call to prayer, we don't get that many people that come forward and I don't know why, because we should all be praying for what we know God can do. We should all be praying for what we know God can do. Prayer is a powerful thing. I even think of the parable when Jesus is talking about 
the persistent widow who comes back to the judge over and over and over. And it's hard not to conclude that because this persistent widow came back to this judge over and over and finally got him to change his mind, it kind of insinuates that our prayer can make a difference with God. You put that in your theological bucket. And so I'm going to I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to kind of tell you and show you what this time of response is going to look like. God, thank you for this morning. Father, I pray that the words that you have led me to share today have helped correct some bad theology. I pray that the words that you have led me to share today have brought some healing. God, my guess is that this will be a sermon that maybe those in this room will send to friends and family members and who knows who will end up watching this in the future and how far that future could be, God, I pray that you would just use it to remind people who you are and who you're not. I also pray, God, that all of us would remember that even though you don't always answer our prayers the way that we would hope you would, you do promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us. You do promise that you're near to the brokenhearted. You do tell us that you're always with us. You tell us that you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit and another name of the Holy Spirit is Comforter. And so God, we know that we can always be comforted by your presence no matter what we're going through. God, thank you for those promises. But God, I also pray that you would raise our empathy, all of us. Would you allow all of us to be more intentional in living interruptible lives? Would you help us to see that it won't take a whole lot of work on our part to be such a huge blessing in someone else's life? We just need to be available. God, maybe put somebody on our mind that we need to reach back out to just to see how they're doing because we maybe assume that they've gotten past it or or over it. God, help us to exercise more empathy. Help us to give people Jesus more often. We love you. We pray this in his name. Amen.